Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. It is a very exciting honor today to have Jay Carter on the show with us. And also we have Kellen with us today. Hi, Kellen. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. So Jay Carter, I met Jay online through the cancer networks that I refer to as Cancerland. Jay is 35 years old. He's native Californian. He lives in Dallas now. Jay, I'm just going to bring you in right away here. How old were you when you were diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia? I was uh, 26 when I was diagnosed, so just about nine years ago now. So 26 years old, he's, he gets diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia, which we will get into today. Jay is also a member of the Man Up to Cancer community. And I I gravitated toward Jay right away because I started seeing some of the photos that he would post online and, and his social media presence. And he is just this outdoor, like he says he's a software engineer slash graphic designer, but I'm pretty sure he's actually an outdoor adventure model. I mean, true or false? Sure, I'll take that. <laughs> I mean, he, he's like snowboarding and paddleboarding and skiing and like uh, whitewater rafting. And you could just, and he's got a smile, like the smile on his face when he's doing this stuff is so awesome that you can't help but gravitate toward him. So I'm so glad that he's part of our community and getting to meet him. Let's just jump right into it. We're going to talk about the cancer experience today. I posted on the men's group today that I'm looking for an alternative name for the cancer journey. To me, it's like we use the word journey, but it's like indicative of like a cruise or something nice. Like there's definitely no like, you don't seem like people aren't generally trying to kill you on a journey. (laughs) So Jay, I don't know. Jay, do you what kind of language do you use when you tell people about your cancer experience or journey or or we, we sometimes we lack language? Yeah, no, I was going to say, I, I usually just say journey or experience. Yep. It, it's kind of tough. It's not a good descriptor to describe what we're going through, but like it is a journey. You know, I, I think back to first being diagnosed, just knowing what I know now and everything I've gone through, it's a journey, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, constantly learning. And yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And I think that if you look at it as a journey in terms of being suggestive of growth, I think that there's definitely something there. And I think reading your your writings and seeing you on social media, I, I think, and we're going to get into your growth today as well. You seem like a Renaissance man to me, though. You have lots of interests. So music, technology, culture, obviously sports. Have you always been um, that kind of a well-rounded person or has that developed more lately? Yeah, I, I've always been that way, sort of. I, when I was six, my parents enrolled me in piano lessons. So I started taking piano lessons. Then I was really active in church and the choir and sports, of course. And you know, as kids, we were always in the outdoors. So we had trails pretty close to my house. So we'd go out, ride our bikes on the trails. And then summertime, we're at the lake. So always just doing a lot of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Being active. Uh, It was the 90s. We didn't have the internet yet. (laughs) (laughs) And where was home for you as a kid? Home was in uh, Vacaville, California. So uh, just north of San Francisco, in between San Francisco and Sacramento. Is it fairly large or is it small? Uh, it's smaller. It's getting bigger now. Uh, they're about 100,000 people. Yeah, so it's not small, but it's not big. So I live in Dallas proper now. We're moving down. I lived in Sacramento for four years. So that's kind of a city, fairly large city. 
Uh, so it wasn't too much of a difference, but I will say there was a, a bit of a cultural shock just moving from the West Coast to the South, basically, or Southwest. You went to college in California, right? Yes, I went to UC Davis. It's just outside of uh, Sacramento. So you get done with UC Davis, you start into your 20s. What was the career path that you started out you know, before cancer? So I finished up at Davis. I took some classes at Sacramento State too for a while. That's why I was in Sacramento. And uh, what I wanted to do, I wanted to get into the medical field. And so it was going to be PT or orthopedic surgeon. Like those are two different things, but it's like, wow. Right. <laughs> I'm really curious how it gets to graphic designer from there. <laughs> it's a very interesting story. So, uh, so I moved to Dallas uh, partly because I had an internship with one of the hospitals here. And also my dad lived here at the time and he was getting pretty sick. And so I came down uh, to help uh, take care of him. My brother moved down maybe three months before I did. Mm-hmm. And so everything came to sort of line up. Things are going well for three months. And then three months in, I was diagnosed with leukemia. And so... Um, yeah, it, it was pretty rough. But for the most part, like for the first six months of my diagnosis, like life remained the same pretty much. I had labs, you know, every two weeks or so, but I could still intern and like, I had a part-time job selling sports memorabilia at uh, the Cowboys Stadium. So that's yeah. a Cowboys fan, by the way. <laughs> uh, but uh, things were normal until my seventh month checkup. I went in and I found out I relapsed. And that was kind of a, uh, it was a bad day because uh, up until that point, I was taking pills only to um, stay in remission. I guess right. I, I'm in remission. And my whole mantra was, yeah, I have cancer, but at least I only have to take pills. I don't have to do real chemo. <laughs> and so during that checkup, I found out like, hey, I have to start real chemo and get ready for a stem cell transplant. So let me interrupt you right there. Sorry, but um, introduce for those of, for those listeners who might not know about CML, give us the, the Cliff's notes on what it is. Okay, so it's a um, basically a blood disorder of the bone marrow, and the type I had, I had uh, Philadelphia positive. Uh, so it's it's a mutation of the nine and twenty two chromosomes. Basically, they translocate, mm-hmm. and that causes the leukemia. And so the meds I was on at first, they're tyrosine kinase inhibitors, and the tyrosine kinase is a protein that the chromosomes need to swap. And so taking those inhibitors, it prevents them from being able to swap and it basically stops the cancer from growing in its track. So it's a targeted therapy. And so, yeah. <laughs> so so now, Kellen, I told you Jay was wicked smart, right? <laughs> I, I'm trying to follow what he just said, but I, I think I got the basics of it. No, it's good. Um, and, and is it a sporadic thing or a genetic thing? Or was there an explanation as to why you got this, especially, you know, in your, I guess this is something that can strike at any age. Yeah. So no, like this is normally the type of uh, leukemia that I had. It's normally seen in older males, 65 and older, mm. or little children. So they really didn't know like what caused it, which funny story. I probably had it for about 18 months or so before being diagnosed because I used to give blood on campus. During a blood drive, I gave blood one day and the very next day, a nurse calls from the blood center and she's like, oh, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? It's like, I'm good. And she's like, uh, can you do me a favor and go to the doctors and get checked out? I was like, for what? And she's like, your white blood cell count seems to be a little bit high. Mm. I was like, oh no, I have a cut on my finger. It's no big deal. That's probably what caused it. And she's like, no, go, go to the doctors. Right. <laughs> you were trying to like Google explain your way out of it. You're like, no, no, no. WebMD told me I'm fine. <laughs> I totally disregarded her. Didn't go to the hospital. Didn't go to the doctors. And then 18 months later, I'm diagnosed with leukemia. So she was right. 
Um, so yeah. And, but so, but you had no like frame of reference around in your in your family or or anything like that to suggest any. You know, had you known anyone with leukemia? Not in my family. Part of the reason, it's a funny story. Part of the reasons, everything's a funny story. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's good. <laughs> Although I have a feeling that when they are funny stories about cancer, they might be a little less funny yeah. and a little more just <laughs> intriguing. Yeah. So uh, growing up, there was a little girl in my church and she was diagnosed with leukemia. And uh, being black, like it's hard to find donors just because of our genetic makeup. We're mixed from sure. all over. And so I remember that like, that had a huge impact on me as a child. I was maybe seven or eight, but uh, they did like the bone marrow donor drive and things like that. And so as I got older and got into college, it's like, oh, I might as well give blood. And I got swabbed to become a part of the bone marrow drive and things like that. You know, that impacted me. So, I mean, that early experience, though, and that exposure to that and then getting involved as a donor, I mean, that... So there was a piece of you that there was a little foreshadowing or something in your brain that so when you did get this news, there was a little bit of background there. So back to the so you're lining up for a stem cell transplant. What does that involve? And and why did you need to have one? So I pretty much need to have a stem cell transplant to have the best odds at long term survival. Mm-hmm. That's the way it explained to me because once I relapsed that first time, like my numbers were all over the place and the goal for the transplant. First, I had to go through eight rounds of chemos, hyper CVAD, and I had to do eight rounds of chemo uh, just to get my counts under control. And from there, I could have started taking the pills again or had a stem cell transplant. And my doctors decided, and I did too, that the best chances of like not having to deal with this anymore was to have stem cell transplants. So that's what I did. How does that work? And how yeah. long were you in the hospital for that? Uh, each round of the chemo, the eight, I had eight rounds of chemo before the transplant. Each round, I was inpatient. I was hospitalized for five or six days um, at a time. And wow. chemo would run overnight. So they'd started around 1.30 or so in the morning. And it finished up around, I don't know, four or five in the morning. And so, you know, being pumped full of steroids and, you know, <laughs> um, like the Ativan, Benadryl, just all that stuff. Wow. That's heavy. Yeah. Right. Like there's a lot of stuff and like, I can't go to sleep. It's the middle of the night. I'm trying to like sleep. People are coming in and out. So one of the things I started doing was just walking the halls at night. It's just yeah. like, I can't lay here and, you know, just take this. Like I'm going to do something different. Right. So I'd get up and walk. I'd go into the family visiting area and like do squats, holding on to the pole, just anything to be active. <laughs> you know? So that went on for eight months eight rounds basically mm-hmm. i'd go in for a week have three weeks off and depending on my counts um they would i'd be able to continue with the next round or i'd have to wait a few weeks and have blood transfusions and platelet transfusions and things like that so during that time is this also during the time that your father is also dealing with his health and and your brother like what is the family structure feeling like at that time because it sounds like that could be overwhelming it it could have been overwhelming but surprisingly it wasn't so my dad was dealing with prostate cancer at the time and he had radiation beads implanted so for the most part i would drive myself to the hospital my brother was taking care of my dad but we had this going on here in texas and back home my grandmother also got sick with breast cancer too so like there was a lot going on in the family and i will say one thing that got me through treatments and things like that my grandmother and I would talk all the time when we were in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you guys actually were able to, although different cancers, and you could at least both say to each other how much 
this sucks <laughs> instead of having somebody tell you you'll fight it you'll be fine <laughs> right. like <laughs> that's one of the things we'd say we'd, like, we'd have to we have to be strong for each other that's what she right oh. yeah and i still have a really really sweet voicemail from her the day before my transplant like i was sleeping or something and she called and left a voicemail and yeah it's it's good it, it's one of those good things i'm i'm glad i have it i miss yeah. her dearly she passed away maybe a year after my transplant and so yeah <laughs> it's life. yeah i mean the family right i mean those those bonds and family getting you through you also mentioned another thing that got you through which was what we referenced to earlier was your physical nature and your your will to to walk when you were in chemo and and then begin doing things as soon as you could talk a little bit about your physical nature and how that has been a theme for you to to getting through all this i guess the part that really i don't know drove the point home to me that i needed to stay active during treatment was the first round of chemo in the hospital it was kind of a shock it's like oh this is all being thrown at me it's so sudden it was memorial day weekend two of 2012 and so just going through the process of being in the hospital and not expecting that that first round i was up all the time it's like okay i gotta stay active do this do that i'm not gonna just sit in bed and take this but by the second round the shock had sort of set in a little bit right and so it really dawned on me like hey i have cancer and so instead of being active that time i basically laid in bed the entire treatment mm. it um, the difference was noticeable once that session ended. Like I got home and two, three days later, I felt like absolute crap, right? And the only difference was I didn't move <laughs> at all, like <laughs> that cycle. And so like going through that, I was like, okay, there's never going to be another time where I'm just laying in bed taking this. And so I don't know, It staying active during treatment made me feel better, but it also kept my mind occupied too. Right. And as you've been able to resume your activities, so take us beyond your, so you got out of treatment and then have you been no evidence of disease or remission or what's the terminology? Where are you at in your cancer? I'm going to call it a cruise today. Where are you at in your cancer cruise? My cancer cruise. I like that. It has <laughs> uh, so currently I've been in remission since it's been about three years now, uh, March of 2017. Awesome. Yeah, I had a slight relapse at the end of 2016. And so I had to start taking uh, the TKIs again but they got me in remission again. But, you know, even that's been a journey, um, like after the transplant. So I finished up in April of 2013 with the whole process and I was declared in remission about a year later. And for me, remission is they can't detect any of the mutated chromosomes. Okay. Or like the level's really low. So I've had those levels undetectable now for three years. Yeah. So I'd go in every three months and uh, have regular labs and they run the genetic testing for that too. Are there symptoms that you would notice? Because it sounds like you kind of had relapses. Yeah. And were there any signs that you started feeling now, even as you're, you know, in remission, you know, because I can't even imagine like if you're kind of always living on this little precipice and you have these little signs that you noticed before and they might be similar to something as, you know, regular as a common cold. And then you're dealing with that and so everything is getting second guessed. And so your mental health during that time can really seem like it would be a struggle. Sure. Yeah. So uh, a few of the signs and symptoms, lower back pain, night sweats too. Uh, these are all things I experienced, by the way, before I was initially diagnosed. And I just mm. wrote them off as being uh, new to Texas, right? So I came like in the summer 
and so it's having nights. So the like, Texas sweats are, yeah, yeah th right. That's actually <laughs> true, right? <laughs> yeah. So I wake up in the middle of the night and like my sheets are soaked. I was like, oh, it just must be the humidity or something. Or I'd have random lower back pain and or mm -hmm. uh, random bruising on my body. And it's like, oh, I must have just like hit myself at the gym. And I don't remember it, but like that had to be what happened, right? <laughs> Other things too, like fatigue, which a couple of years ago, I thought I relapsed just because like I'd be out for a run or a jog or something and get really dizzy like all of a sudden and there were a couple of times I fell I even like busted up my knees just like randomly jogging like I didn't trip or anything like that and so knowing what those signs and symptoms are every time something like that pops up it's a total uh Mm. It, it, it messed <laughs> with my mind a little bit mind blank yeah yeah <laughs> i was trying to find, figure out a, a nice way to put that but yeah yeah exactly what it is. i don't know i think we've sworn on this before oh yeah yeah you i know, mean i'm <laughs> comfortable with the, some some words i just i'm not sure about dropping f-bombs yet i'm not at like the, right maybe by episode 12 you'll just yeah, start back <laughs> yeah exactly but i know exactly what jay is talking about you know like if i get a certain feeling in my abdomen that I'm just like, oh, that, mm, that's a little uncomfortable. And after you've had cancer or during cancer, you know, pain doesn't just become, it's not just pain anymore. Right. It, it's, it's everything. It's a signal. Yeah. 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 So tell us, okay, the foundational premise of Man Up to Cancer is to encourage men to reach out, connect, accept help, avoid isolation during, during the cancer cruise. Now, right. so some of the themes we talk about are isolation, loss of identity, shame, you know, as I talk about those things, you're in your mid to late 20s when you get this. You know, what resonates with you in your journey in terms of facing some of those issues? Like if there's one that just jumps out at you or a couple. Yeah. So um, when I was down in Houston for my treatment, I had to live there for three months and I was living in a hotel, like going back and forth to the hospital every day on a shuttle. And one morning, another younger guy gets on and he has like a ton of food and he's just like slamming food in his mouth. I'm like, hey, what's up, dude? And he's like, hey, what's up? And like, that was it. But the next day we talked a little bit and he looks at me, he's like, who are you going to visit? And I was like, I'm a patient. He's like, you're a patient too, so am I. You know, so we started chatting and it turns out he lived in the Dallas area and we're both Cowboys fans. So it's like one of those uh, stepbrother moments. Like, Oh, nice. So we became friends. And just being able to chat with him. This was maybe two years now into my cancer cruise, right? And uh, just being able to chat with him about everything, it, it made me uh, finally feel heard by someone, yeah. you know? And so like some of that isolation that I faced or feeling that uh, no one really understood my experience. Cause I talked to my friends, I talked to family members, things like that, but no one was my age going through cancer. I felt like they didn't get it. And so talking with this guy, I felt uh, I wasn't alone. Yeah, th that's it. It's really simple. Like yeah. It's, a, it's a, just a very simple concept. When, even if you have one person like that who emerges and, and you can connect with and you don't feel alone, it's such a powerful thing. So you have channeled your, you've been on this cruise for a while. Now you're sort of like becoming a social director. Like you're employed by the cruise lines. Now you can help others, right? So yeah. <laughs> you, you've become an advocate. Tell us a little bit about Epic Experience and some of the other work that you've done to um, to work on this awareness and advocacy. Yeah, so same buddy I was just telling you about, this was in December of 2014, he hit me up and he's like, hey, there's this uh, organization out in Colorado and they do ski trips for cancer survivors. I just signed up, they need more people, you wanna go? It's like, uh, yes, <laughs> so I, signed up. <laughs> I signed up and two weeks later, I was in uh, Colorado with Epic Experience and that week was so life-changing because here I had a whole group of cancer survivors and they just got it. and. Uh, we'd have small group 
chats and campfire chats too but we're also i I always say there's a good mix of play like fun and like heavy stuff too nice yeah yeah we'd have chats and then we'd go out and play and then come back and have more chats too so just being around a group of people again who just get it once the week was over i was like i i need to stay connected somehow and it just so happens that their website needed help at the time so (laughs) (laughs) i whispered in it it was like hey you guys need help with your site. And so that's how I started working with them. It's been five years now. And um, every camp I've done, I think 20 camps now, 21, something like that. And every camp is so unique and special. But what draws me back is the discussions, you know, like the adventures are fun. I love them. But like just having that time with other survivors in intimate settings, just be able to chat about stuff, like no outside noise, nothing, just talking about this whole cancer cruise, right? seeing their progress over the week helps me, but also like hearing their stories helps me as well. You know, it's like, I'm still going through this stuff, you know, like it never goes away. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I, and I do have to give a shout out to Colin and, and those folks up in Colorado. Colin was, I think Colin was the one who suggested that I reach out to you and, and start our friendship, which has been amazing. So check out Epic Experience for sure. A little bit about your evolution then professionally. So you were interested in medicine, but then as, as Kellen was saying earlier, she wants to hear a little bit about how you got into you know software engineering, graphic design. You're that like is the... not how I got into graphic design. <laughs> I, I did not get into design and the artistic field by thinking, I want to be a doctor yeah, like first. A, a pediatric surgeon. <laughs> no, <right>? yeah, <laughs> that's not... <laughs> So, sure. Uh, one of my, as I was going through uh, treatment, one of my former lab partners back in Sacramento, getting ready to open a gym, and uh, he's, he hit me up. He's like, hey, you were always the techie person in our lab group. Can you help me with a website? Uh, I ended up building his site. And then maybe a few months after I finished that, I was on a, a men's retreat with uh, Real Recovery Oklahoma. And uh, they're a fly fishing group nationwide, too. They do retreats all over the U.S. Yeah. So one night after dinner on that retreat, the conversation came up. It's like, what's something you've had a chance to do that you wouldn't have done if it weren't for cancer? And so I started talking about how I built my buddy's gym website, right? Yeah. Afterwards, Martin, the head guy, he said, hey, Jay, can you help us out with our site? <laughs> so that's- that is how it happens. I feel well, like right. once, once somebody knows you, they're like, oh. So, so Jay, you might not relate to this, but up here in Maine, it's like if you have a pickup truck, right? Oh, yeah, my brother's got a truck. Like, so you, you kind of yeah. you don't want to have that skill, but you do. So you're the guy with the web skills. Like, oh, hey, yeah. we got we need you. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone needs like graphics and web stuff done all the time. I'm sure you know. Kelly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I, I built the Real Recovery website, the Oklahoma version, and then Epic, and stuff with my immune system wasn't wasn't looking great. Like, I could have gotten the clearance to go back into the medical field, but I would have had to have a waiver signed and things right. like that. It just wasn't a safe place for me to be with the weak immune system. And so, uh, again, my buddy, <laughs> he's like, well, why don't you just start doing web stuff full time? There's obviously a need. And so he kind of pushed me in that direction and it sort of took off. It sounds like in some ways being diagnosed younger changed your path so that at least you hadn't gotten so far into your medical profession because that takes so many years, (laughs) so much intense learning that you, it would have been so hard to pivot. And it's interesting. It's really interesting. I think we hear this a lot in cancer land is that patients tend to pivot professionally quite a bit. And oftentimes it, it reflects that growing interest in, you know, the work that you do for real recovery and epic experience doesn't just fill a need professionally. It fills a need 
personally and, yeah. and, and passion wise. Yeah, definitely. I always said like when I wanted to get in the medical field, I want to help people, you know, like I, I've always wanted to help people. Now I look at it, it's like, I still help people just in a different way, you know, yeah. especially like at these uh, camps and things like that. It's like we're helping people grow. It's not like a doctor, but it's still like helping someone along their journey or cruise or whatever, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. And, and, and man, I'm so thankful that there's people like you out there who <laughs> you get thrown lemons. Sometimes you get, you got to make lemonade. I know it's cliche, but you are a great example of someone who's doing that and impacting others. When you look ahead, if you think about yourself five years down the road, I guess what's motivating you now personally and professionally, and where do you want to be personally and professionally, you know, five years down the road, 10 years down the road? Yeah. So I'll go back to um, what Kaylin was just saying. I feel like I'm going full circle now because like right now what motivates me is physical activity with cancer survivors, right? And Mm. just knowing myself, I struggled so much going through treatment with my weight. Like I was on steroids. So I was up all night, like, and hungry the entire time. So I was eating and throughout the course of my treatment, I gained 70 pounds, right? And so I was get it off within 18 months after treatment. But then after the relapse, I started slowly creeping back up in weight. Mm-hmm. And by then I, I got involved with the uh, University of North Carolina. They have a program called the impact study for young adult cancer survivors. And it's, it's a study to see if there's an impact of physical activity on your general mental health and also weight as well. And so I, I was involved with that program for 12 months and I lost 40 pounds and I continued it. And up to date, I'm at 70 pounds now. But long story short, it's such a huge need in the community. It's so cliche, like people think cancer survivor and it's like, oh, they're skinny and bald, you know, like that's definitely <laughs> not the case, right? Yeah, it's uh, always the case. And so like people struggling with their weight, like going through treatment, and it could be for a variety of reasons. But um, it's like, how do we help these people? Like not only with their weight, just mental health and well-being yeah. and And so that's what's driving me now, really. I really want to get into that space a little more. And I always say I want to combine tech and physical activity in a way that's beneficial to the cancer community. And so that's what I'm working on now. I'm actually a community advisory board member for the study. Yeah. um, Awesome. Other organizations working with in that space too. And we'll see where it goes. I love it. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that that is important stuff. That is huge impact. I, I'm excited to see where you're headed with it. Yeah. So I've been doing this man up to cancer hot seat. Are you ready? Sure, let's go. Here we go. Number one, pineapple on pizza. Yes or no? Yes. I'm a, yes, I'm a big yes. I, I love it. Okay, you guys are out. You're both you're it. both banished. <laughs> the answer is no, but I'm outnumbered today. Two to one. All right. Pineapple, ham, and onions. Like, don't knock. Ooh, I've had the pineapple and ham. I have not added the onions. Oh Add God. the onions. It's a game I'm, changer. I'm disgusted. Ugh. No, I like... I don't know. I feel like people are too judgmental about what people put on their pizza. You I can am. put whatever you want on your pizza. No, no, I'm ju- I'm judging you so hard <laughs> right now. Um, number two, Jay, if you could be any athlete, any athlete for one event, who would it be? Ooh, that's a tough one. Probably say LeBron though, just because we're the same So like a LeBron in a finals game, like game seven. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, is it because you actually? have an interest in basketball or you just want to be really good at that sport like whatever sport you know just the pinnacle yeah, right be the, the best yeah yeah all right Ke- kellen same question yeah same question okay not because i have any ability in this at all but when you see simone biles fly through the air and flip as many times as she does i don't want to do it 
all the time, but like just once I'd be able like want to see what that feels like <laughs> just to get your body to do that. Right. I'm I'm getting dizzy just thinking about yeah, yeah what yeah, she no, can I do with the air. on the other side, but I just <laughs> <laughs> Okay. What's the worst style choice you ever made, Jay? Oh, I'd, I'd say fashion in high school, the 90s. And I look back on some of the pictures now and it's just the clothes. What were we wearing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except for they're coming back now and you see teenagers wearing. and you're like, oh, mom jeans weren't awesome then. Why are these coming back? Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you could eat only one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? And you have to be specific. I would do a turkey and Swiss on wheat with avocado and baby spinach. Is that like... Wow, that's Bam. so fancy. Bam. <laughs> Jay, what place in the U.S. would you most like to visit that you've never been to before? Oh, I'd probably say the Florida Keys. I've never been. Just not in hurricane season. But <laughs> I mean, I can't argue with that. Okay, last question. Do you have pump-up music? I have pre-made playlists on Apple Music, like electronic. Dude. Oh, all right. Okay. Heavy beats. He's going yeah, for heavy right, beats right. and like... <laughs> yeah, I love it. I'll finish up with one more question for Jay. This is a question that I often go back to. It's kind of my go-to. The zombie apocalypse is upon us and you can only choose one weapon to get you through. What is Jay Carter going to be wielding to get rid of the zombies? Probably an axe. Yes. <laughs> Like, a, I can see you with like a double edged axe, just yeah. like just spinning around. Um, Jay, it's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast. I'm psyched to be connected to you now, and I'm excited to see the impact that you're making already and that you're going to. So, don't be a stranger. Take care, brother. Definitely. Thanks for having me, and uh, thanks, Cullen, too. And yeah, hopefully, I wasn't uh, too horrible. <laughs> You are just the right amount of horrible. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't want perfect guests here. They're not allowed. You're no. like, a, you're like a solid A. Good job. Alrighty, thanks, guys. I appreciate right. it. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list, and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open. Mm-hmm.